form of expression It's how I express myself If it comes from the heart You can never go wrong If it comes from the heart You can never go wrong Oh no Oh no You're listening to High January by Marker Starling. This is A Thousand Songs, Episode 1. My name is Jim Shedden, and I'm here with two friends, Alan Zweig and Rick Campbell. Hello. Hello. This is A Thousand Songs, the podcast, which was inspired by a Facebook group that we um, belong to uh, for seven years, from 2007 to 2014, where we discussed music that we loved. And so this many years later, we've decided to revisit that to a certain extent, but uh, really pick up the thread and begin a new conversation about music in our lives. Why, I ask, did we not start the podcast in 2015 when it would have had a chance of actually (laughs) making a difference? Why did we wait eight years till every single person on the planet had a podcast? I think I blame you, Jim, because you are the social convener, the the organizer. Were there podcasts in 2015? Yeah, and I was even listening to them, and it seemed like a good idea, but I don't know. It just, I don't know. It never occurred to you. I don't remember you even suggesting that maybe. It was like, no, I, I it, wasn't listening to podcasts then. Yeah, I guess I wasn't either, but I started listening to them. I don't know. I guess when the iPhone could hook up Bluetooth mm. to the car, and then I started being like, okay, I'm tired of the radio. And now when I'm walking a lot and I got the earbuds, it's like, it's almost all I do is listen to podcasts. And mm. yeah, you know. I, I'm, I'm uh, plugged into podcasts all the time. And I think I was then too, but it was all, it was like this American life. Like I listened to every episode of this American life. I listened to them again. I thought that's, that's a way to do things. And then um, I actually got a, um, I not, can't remember what year it was, but I took a short leave from my job to do a, a pilot for the CBC, a pilot podcast, mm-hmm. when they were trying to figure out what to do. And uh, it didn't, it totally did not fly at all. And I'm so glad because the idea of doing a podcast at CBC is so unappealing even though there might have been a paycheck, uh, it's so much less appealing than being at this table in my house right now with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I listen to a lot of podcasts that are precisely that, and I find them much more exciting than a lot of the kind of official, you know, uh, institutional media. Um, but instead, I at that time, what I it took a long time, and I still haven't finished it. But coming out of a thousand songs, what I actually decided to do was uh, a film. Uh, which you guys are both going to be in when it's finished. And you've both been, and you both remember being uh, interviewed. And that yes. seemed like the thing to do. But now I, 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 now, I, now I think that this is more compelling. What I liked about A Thousand Songs, and I, I said this back when we were still doing it, was that it was a, often a leaping off point for autobiography or, or talking about one's own life or, experience, or, or experiences or talking about what was going on in the moment with that individual there was the three of us were the mate were the major contributors to that but there were three or four other people that contributed my younger brother mm-hmm. contributed a few things even a song at one point uh because of my own reticence to write about uh kate bush he wrote a very good piece on her 
We've heard and, of her. And, um, uh, and why do you think we were the most... Jim, it was Jim's thing. It was Jim's so he thing. had to be yeah. the most. But why you and me were the second most? I what took, is it I, about well, our, our personalities and our neurotic need? I think it's because of our neurotic needs. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will say for myself, like, it, you know, it just keeps being true that, like, I made another film about record collecting and I still... And I'm kind of writing a fictional film about record stores. And I still am amazed that I can't really express the way music and not just mu like, and when you say music, I don't mean writing music mm. or playing music. I just mean buying it <laughs> and listening to it. Why that is so well, important, not even important. I don't even know what the word is. And I still just keep thinking uh, someday I'll figure out a way to talk about this in the world that finally I can give it up. And that's actually why I approached you guys to do this. Cause it's like, maybe that's the way to finally, so I can stop thinking about this so much. Cause I think about it. A lot. I do too. Well, I, there were, um, by way of example, the cast party for the uh, play that uh, I just closed, um, one of the actors' partners uh, took over the, playing the music at the party. Um, got a laptop, just started playing stuff. And most of what he was playing was kind of chill EDM, like just like, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it because I'm 66 years old, but it was uh, it was all really great, and I was really enjoying it, and I was constantly shazamming it, <laughs> and so that I could you know make my own playlist of the songs that I particularly liked, and so I went, who am I? What am I doing? Why do I keep doing this? Why when I'm in the LCBO, a song will come on, and I'll go, I don't know what this is, but I really like it, and I'll shazam it. And I'll add it to a playlist, or I'll or I'll sock it away in a in a in a bank for for later playlists and stuff like that, or I'll or I'll seek the record out. And I go, what the heck is going on? Why am I still doing this? But I think it's just because it makes me, for the most part, makes me happy. I mean, I don't have a lot of money to spend on music anymore, so I don't buy. I like you know, I now I'm buying like five records a year maybe and two or three cds that's about it because um i don't have the money anymore but then there'll be something weird will come along where i go oh i've got some money now i can buy another white album <laughs> and so i do that and it, and i go what 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 are you doing like i've got seven copies of the white album it's nothing I know. I miss. I miss this. I miss They're, the. You're uh, looking exhibit. for the whitest album. I, I guess, but you know, I've got it in mono. I got the remix from 2017 or 18 or whatever it was. I've got the one that I bought in Sam the Record Man in 1970, whatever for 3.99 or whatever. I've got uh, uh, somebody else's copy that and people gave them give them to me too. So it's ridiculous, and I've got them on CD as well. And, I've got a lot of white albums and I've got a lot of copies of my well, fair lady as well. I think, um, so going back to what you said earlier about the, you know, 
in doing a thousand songs, we we learned uh, that it was a great way to draw an autobiography. Yes. And the thing is, um, so we are especially obsessed with music, but most people are in are are are, are, are fairly attached to music in a way that's not true of any other art form mm-hmm. right and, and and i think it is partly because for whatever reason the way it operates on us allows us to make those connections that we don't make as easily with uh contemporary sculpture or uh or contemporary theater or all kinds of things that might still move us but that doesn't move very many people Whereas, well, right. it's funny you should say that because I was thinking about this. In fact, every once in a while, I, this crosses my mind because I'll, I'll be in a room and and there'll be somebody who goes, who says, "Can you turn this down or can you, can you take this off?" Mm-hmm. And I go, "Okay." So as alternatives go, you're Alan. You're saying that like, how can I stop doing this? But then I I, I encounter a person who who clearly music isn't that important to them. And I go, I'd rather be me than that person, mm. you know, because I, I think, how is it possible that you don't care about music? Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Maybe that. they don't like it, though. I mean, I, yeah. I don't want to get in trouble right in the first one. Yeah. But my girlfriend and I disagree. Music is very important to her. Yeah. This, what she likes is very important to her. Yeah. But what she doesn't like is very annoying to her. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I don't generally, I, I have twice struck out wildly trying to p- play music when she's around. And one time I played, I played Rotary Connection. I thought she'll like this. It's like, it's like alternative everything they do, Sunshine of Your Love, but they do it in a weird, almost deconstructed way. Yeah. And early of the midnight. And they hap- the song came on the wait. And she said, I don't like this song. I never liked this song. I didn't like the original Too male. So anyway, I'm just saying that. Yeah. Well, there's, there is that, but there are the, the, in the continuum, there's, there's, I think people like my father who really, he likes the songs he likes, but they're already in his head. He got them in his head in the fifties and he doesn't, even if you play them now, he's mostly irritated. Mm. And that's partly age, but he was never like, we had a jukebox for a while too. So there was that, that was the last moment though, that I saw him like actively engaged in music, you know, right. Then there's uh, my wife um, who likes a lot of the music that I like, but she would never go so far as to put music on. Maybe it's because I always have music on, which is a reasonable thing. But I still, like for me, I kind of like, I, I need that lifeline. I listen to it in all kinds of different ways and I need it all the time. And, I, and sometimes I need some silence, but mostly uh, I, need, I need to know that I'm going to listen to music. I need to listen to that music. Um, and um, there, are, there is music, though, that I hear where I think I'd rather hear nothing than that. There's not too much. I can't remember what what I would put in that category. There is for me too. Now I think we've proven in our own way why we talked so much about it 
back then because we were talking so much. I was just wanted to add that that my father had music going all the time, incessantly in in the house, Uh, jazz mostly jazz, Mm -hmm. Uh, except when he would you know watch television or we were outside, you know. Uh, So I I grew up in a house that had music Mm. being played constantly. Not my house, boy. No, yeah, not at all. And not at all. Like they had three records. Yeah, and then one of them was horrible. <laughs> well, I wish I could think of the song with you said that there's. I'd rather listen to nothing than this. I heard a song. It was on this uh, the TD, the technical director, made a strike playlists that we would play that we were all free to add to while we were striking the set every night, which took about an hour and loading the truck. And one song that a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, had chosen came on, and I said, you know. I never liked this song. I freaking hate this song. Well, you picked though. this song, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I picked it. I can't believe me. And I said, I'm sorry. I just, I never, and normally I wouldn't say a word, but I just, that song was so male. It was so male. Yeah. We we should move on, but I will just okay. say my, my parents had um, a very small amount of number of records. And I realized looking back that all, each one of them got under my skin. Whether it was Pata Pata by Miriam McCabe or Johnny Cash, which I've talked about, or um, Burt Kempert, you know, like I might not have liked them even at the time. I might have hated them when I was a teenager, just thinking about them. But which by the time my mom was moved on to Abbott and Willie Nelson anyways, which was okay. Um, But all of them got under my skin and and I kind of live with them now. And I'm very lucky about that. Uh, That was really more my mother, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Just to say, if we start to try and do a thousand songs, Jim, I believe, wanted to do a thousand songs, one a day. It would take him three years. We are talking about doing this every two weeks. So that would be 2,000 weeks it would take us. And uh, I don't believe I'll be alive. Yeah. You know, and I think at this point, the song is the MacGuffin. Uh, You know, it it could lead to a discussion of albums, of records. I don't really collect a lot of records. It was a MacGuffin and Thousand Songs, too. It just really was. It really was because it was often about girlfriends and that sort of thing. So I don't really have a problem if we, you know, like we're, you know, there's a structure to it. Uh, We're not going to get to all thousand songs that we did. Uh, but we could call it a million million songs or a zillion well, songs. Well, it's better. It's a better name for a podcast than songs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, me, me or a bunch of songs. Bunch of, yeah, a gaggle the of many, songs. The amount of songs we can do before Alan dies. <laughs> so that's good. That kind of lays out the... That's a good... Uh, we should call it that. <laughs> the terrain. Who know? says I'm going to die first? Just because <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the oldest. No, no. Okay, so, okay, so. now... Why don't we, without stopping the tape, transition into talking about the song that we decided to talk about today that was in a thousand songs that we all remember created a tremendously long discussion. Too long, because when I read my first comment, I'm embarrassed. Like, I'm embarrassed. I've definitely become a better writer in the last year, couple of years, but also because my girlfriend edits everything I write, so mm. that helps. Andy? I will play the song for our delectation and uh, this version. Mm-hmm. 
circle in a spiral Like a wheel within a wheel Never ending or beginning On a never spinning reel Like a snowball down a mountain Or a carnival balloon Like a carousel that's turning Running rings around the moon Like a clock whose hands are sweeping Past the minutes of its face And the world is like an apple Whirling silently in space Like the circles that you find In the windmills of your mind Like a tunnel that you follow To a tunnel of its own Down a hollow to a cavern Where the sun has never shone Like a door that keeps revolving In a half-forgotten dream Or the ripples from a pebble Someone tosses in a stream Like a clock whose hands are sweeping Past the minutes of its face And the world is like an apple Whirling silently in space Like the circles that you find In the windmills of your mind Keys that jingle in your pocket Words that jangle in your head Why did summer go so quickly? Was it something that you said? Lovers walk along the shore And leave their footprints in the sand There's a sound of distant drumming Just the fingers of your hand Pictures hanging in a hallway On the fragment of a song I've remembered names and faces But to whom do they belong? When you knew that it was over You were suddenly aware That the autumn leaves were turning to the color So, one thing I notice is There's no chorus, there's no bridge I mean, you could say that the Like the circles that you find in the windmills of your mind Is nominally the chorus, chorus. But I don't think it is It's just weird Even I, one, the other thing I noticed for the first time Which is weird Here's one thing weird When we talked about windmills of your mind on the Facebook group, we didn't listen to it. But now that I'm listening to it, you know what's the most interesting thing to me was when he ended one verse and he didn't even take a breath, he started the second verse mm. again. And this time he kind of went up. He took the, like he built it even, anyway, whatever. One of the things about this song is that it's covered a million times. As a song, it's kind of weird that it was covered. I was going to say that, um... The version that I listen to the most right now is a version on a playlist that my brother and I made called, I believe, what's it called? Nous aurons toujours Paris, I think it's called. And um, it's Michel Legrand, uh, the composer, and uh, I forget the name of this, the woman who's singing with him, um, singing it in French. So that's the version I listen to the most right now. But the other thing I wanted to say is that after we had that long uh, back and forth about this song, and I, I did listen to it. I actually listened to two or three different versions of it, uh, especially if you would provide links, I would click on them, that I think Glastonbury, the Glastonbury Festival had its 40th anniversary or whatever. Well, I can't remember now. Everything pre-COVID, I don't remember very well. But... Um, they had a second stage. They had a small stage uh, for performers. Uh, and one of the performers they had was Noel Harrison. And this was just a year or so, maybe two years before he died. And uh, they were showing highlights of, uh, of the festival. And one of the things they showed was Noel Harrison standing on this small stage with a very small audience with an acoustic guitar singing When Meals of Your Mind. And it was and I, I, my heart kind of leapt uh, into my mouth. I just was, it was so touching to see him doing it. 
and uh, just him and a guitar. And uh, to hear this version, which I guess is the version from the film, the Thomas Crown Affair, with the orchestration also has, it just, it just gets me. I don't know. It just like it, the romance that is in Michelle Legrand's music uh, it always it hits, hits me somewhere quite deeply. And when it started just now, when we were listening to it, I thought, ah, well, we'll get this over with. <laughs> but then like 45 seconds in, it had me again. And I was just going, I can't believe how this song reaches me. It's so powerful. And it is unusual. It's unusual in the way that um, a lot of great songs are unusual. Moon River is a great song that's unusual because it's so short. I think I read somewhere that it's 97 words or something like that. But um, the bridge in Windmills is kind of like, it, it's just, it, it, he just raises the, it, the, the, not the pitch of the song, but the, it just goes up and, and just becomes more dramatic. But it's the, within the same purview, you know. It's the same right. thing. So it's why did you choose this song. song, Jim? Why did you? So the thing is, uh, if you look at the very first, this was number one forty. So by one forty, there's a bit of a there's we have a groove. Like it's like there's some things that are not happening at the beginning. At the beginning, I was like actually choosing things that I thought I should choose to get like because they're they're significant some of them were really important to me some of them were less important so i wrote about you know, the allman brothers that was important and i wrote about uh, van halen's eruption which was not important so it took me a while to actually figure out it's got to be just about shit i love and not to worry about that and then i, I remembered so i don't know if i talked about this but whatever and i think i i didn't talk about this because i was still trying to like show off that i knew something um, whereas I don't really know that much. And uh, when I discovered the song, I had no way of knowing things. I discovered the song, it was a 45 in our house. I, no one had ever played it. Um, it just, I don't know where, it was scratchy. It, it just must, my mom must have got it at a garage sale and it just kind of ended up in my room. And I put it on and I, I, didn't, I didn't know who Noel Harrison was, I didn't know who that was, I didn't know the Thomas Crown Affair, I, didn't, I knew nothing. And I put it on. I was and I was really into. It was around the time that I was getting into Scott Walker and stuff. Like it was around the time that I was like, you know, really liking things that were unusual, maybe avant-garde, but still pop and all that. And it just fit into that category for me of the just just you know you know having doing exactly what you described, Alan. But I didn't have any way of thinking about that, even though I ostensibly knew something about music then. And I just uh, I thought this is. I don't know. This uh, th there was just the perfect kind of discovery, and uh, um, and I kind of n now it's impossible, and it would be impossible for me even at that age to have that because I would just you know Wikipedia suddenly know everything about him and about Legrand and about you know I would know all that, but I couldn't know anything. The most I could know was who wrote the song, mm -hmm. and then I might and, and I might go, oh my god. You know, because I saw it somewhere else. The only place I was getting like real information about music was at Sam the Record Man. Uh, in the, in, I'd go through every floor, every aisle, reading every everything I could. If there was an open record, you could actually read the liner notes. It was great. I eventually discovered the UT Music Library, which was helpful. But mostly, I was just at home, stuck with what was in front of me, and I, and I don't, you know. And this was one one of those great moments. And I felt liberated to talk about it at 140. Yeah. Not at number one. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because it was definitely a that and Wichita lineman. I think were two that we that we all knew was do we do coming. I guess we did do that. Yeah. The interesting thing for I me though that I just mm-hmm. is that I don't know if I liked this when it first. It, this was not important to me when it first came out, and also I probably saw the Thomas Crown Affair just for a little context. It's a Norman Jewison film that was very. Um, kind of ahead of its time. It used split screen. Split screen yes. mm-hmm. There was not much to the story. No. It was it was Steve McQueen, who I loved, and, and Faye Dunaway. it was Faye Dunaway and all that. But the movie, it was kind of a, like a, like a, like a IMAX. A light caper It was film. kind of like, yeah. it was just some, mm. you know, like nice imagery for a, for a travelogue. And, and I don't know, like, the lyrics of the song did not really have anything to do with the plot of the movie. No. And, but I remember hearing, and it was like, you know, I think probably when I was a kid, I thought that's a stupid song. That's a (laughs) fake psychedelic song with bad psychedelic lyrics Mm -hmm. that some, you know, whatever Johnny Carson is going to make fun of them tonight on the tonight show. Yeah. I was thinking, or something like that. It's only when, as I wrote about in my way too long first thing, when I realized that it was one of the most covered songs of all time that I started to think about it. And I just, I'll just say like, uh, when I was making vinyl, this is like 25 years ago, mm-hmm. a very charming guy named John McLaughlin was his name, an Englishman who collected 78s and he had like 40,000 78s. And he had them, he said, I have them because I'm interested in history. And then he said, when you go to a store and you see, every time you see that record there, that means everybody once had this record. And then he said, why? Why? was So that was sort of how I feel about Windmills of Your Mind. Like, as I said in my piece... I'm in a group of community of people who realizing there are a hundred versions of windmills of your mind, make compilations of just windmills (laughs) of your mind. Yes. And I've gotten two of them. So I've like, I don't have them anymore, but there, there were like 80 versions of this song from, you know, from vanilla fudge to Frank Sinatra Jr. That's what interested me. Like what, why did this song and I'd still do like, I don't have an, a- I kind of have an answer, a theory, but that's what, when I played the song 40 times in a row, that's when I liked it. Mm-hmm. But when I heard it as a kid, I think I thought it was stupid. When I heard it as a kid, I, I really liked it, but I didn't un- understand it. And, and also when I was a kid, I guess this is 1967, this, this song. Uh, so I would have been uh, 11 years old. I didn't, um, I liked it. I, I also liked the fact that uh, the Johnny Carson, Frank Sinatra generation made fun of it and uh, made fun of the lyrics and then 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 proceeded to go out and cut their own versions of it later. Right. And it was like, oh yeah, you know, okay. Okay, Frank. But um, uh, I mean, Steve Allen used to do that. I remember Steve Allen making fun of, uh, Steve Allen used to host The Tonight Show. I think he was the, the first, first, first host of The Tonight Show. But then he had his own show. Yeah, That's possibly yeah, what yeah. he saw. You know, I was listening to it. I said, it's about 
someone who's contemplating the end of a, a romantic relationship. That's what the song is about. It's about melancholy. And the music is melancholic. It would be interesting to see the French lyrics and to see if you could get a, tra a straight-ahead translation of the French lyrics, which would make it hard to... to why, I'm wondering if they're different. I'm wondering lyrics. if they're different in the way that Paul Anka's uh, were lyrics for uh, my, my way, way are different from the French song. Okay, but wait that, a second. The song was written for the film, right? Why would there be French lyrics? I, I well, there are because I've heard Michelle oh, Legrand no, sing them. I think that they translated from English to French. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's a good point. Around. That's a good point. Also, let's just say something for about Noel Harrison. Sure. Noel Harrison was Rex Harrison's son. He did make records on his own. Mm -hmm. He made okay records, but I also think probably that he had a career because he was no because he was Rex Harrison's son. Mm. He was. Am I wrong? Wasn't he the sidekick on Girl from Uncle? Yes. He was like the Ilya Kriakin. So he was an actor. And I actually have a couple of records of his. He was an okay. I should folky. we should say Girl from Uncle was a, a, a in the 60s because of the success of the James Bond films. There were a lot of uh, ripoffs of James Bond films uh, and uh, on television series as well. I mean, this. I, so I find a number of things interesting. One, uh, first of all, I do care about lyrics, uh, but most of the time I don't care if I'm right about the lyrics. So in other words, when I heard Windmills All Your Mind, all I really heard was the title, and then I heard these, these kind of images. And so I didn't really think about them. I just liked the images, and I didn't mm -hmm. think about that till now, really. Um, and I just I use the term Windmills of Your Mind sometimes to describe what I'm going through or where someone else you know, I might say that went through the windows of her mind or something mm -hmm. to describe them, you know. So it has nothing to do with the song, but it comes Sorry, from the song. That. Jimmy Webb also seems like the kind of quintessential Thousand Songs uh, composer and that there's a, there's a similarity and then not a similarity between this and uh, MacArthur Park in that people made, made fun of the lyrics, mm -hmm. uh, even though they didn't make fun of most lyrics, right? You could make, you know, you know, you know, Burning Love or Hound, Hound Dog, you can make fun of those too, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but, but they, but it was the things that had more uh, uh, ambitious, you know, ambitious images, I'd say. And, and uh, ambitious arrangements behind and ambitious too. arrangements, definitely. And so I there's mean, a similarity yeah. there. Yeah. First of all, you made fun of lyrics you could hear, like, right. Like, you know, Richard Harris enunciated cake out in the rain right. so you could hear it. And, Noel Harrison, who I, funny you mentioned that. I wonder if Noel Harrison was chosen as a kind of poor man's Richard Harris, kind of we need a one of those British yeah. singers to do this because Noel Harrison, like there was no reason for him to get the gig here. Did it, <laughs> did it come after MacArthur yeah, Park? It. I don't know whether it came after MacArthur Park, but it certainly came after The Girl from Uncle, I think. It is funny to think of him playing it now in acoustic guitar like that's his most famous song he didn't write it he was his career was kind of made yeah. by it to whatever degree his career was actually made and i don't yeah. know if it was okay so same my, year same year mark carther park and windmills of your mind so i think the the thing that i talked about and that you talked about and that to some degree rick talked about was this in the song was, and we have alluded to it 
a hundred times today is this idea of the parallel 60s, mm-hmm. which I believe the first person who said that to me was Rick McGinnis. I, I don't know if he made it up, but I ran with it afterwards. So very quickly, I can say by parallel 60s, what we mean is the Beatles weren't on Ed Sullivan until 1964. When I was a kid, the, I was a kid in the 60s and TV was complete, even to the end, even till 1970, TV was completely dominated and owned by the artists of my parents' generation, Frank Sinatra, et cetera, et cetera. It was very late in the 60s before any of those people even acknowledged that like the Beatles or something existed. So we say parallel 60s because, you know, whatever, people do the thing, the 60s, the British invasion, the acid thing. But really, the thing about this song is definitely when Norman Jewison went to Michelle Legrand and asked for a song, he he must have said, like, make it like Sgt. Pepper, make mm. it like, or Jim says, Strawberry Fields Forever. That's what he wanted. He wanted a psychedelic song because it was a psychedelic 60s. And even though Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway were not really playing hippies, he want you know, they had to give something for... Maybe the kids will like our movie if we put, or if maybe maybe the two characters who are straight as hell can go to a rock club and see a rock band, and then we'll have the kids will like that, except a rock band's music won't be written by a rock band. It'll be written by, you know, Michelle like Woody Herman, who's doing the soundtrack. Anyway, yeah. that's, that's my... Expo- anyway, that, I think that's why this song exists. Because what, what year was the Umbrellas of Sherberg, which is the musical that Legrand composed the, all the music for? Was it? After he also this? did. He also did Brian's song. I don't know why I remember really? that. Yeah, sixty-four. Uh, so there you go. Okay. That's really, yeah. yeah. Well, you could. Uh, yeah, if you saw Umbrellas of Sherberg, you would think that he could do something. That he might have dropped acid before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Mich- <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. It, yeah, umbrellas. A lot of it's amazing. Anyway, that so a lot of what we talked about was. Don't you think that windmills of your mind musically, though, uh, to get away from the lyrics, is more like classic uh, '60s chanson, like the the kind of music that um, Charles Aznavour, Charles Aznavour, and people like mm-hmm. that were singing back then. Uh, the guy, I can't remember his name, well, I'm not the guy who sang La Mer and all those songs. Right, the guy from uh, Hogan's Heroes. He was also, uh, the you know, like the French guy, Robert Clary. He, yeah, was, yeah. he was also uh, as Navour. That's what I hear when I listen to the music in the song. I go, yes, this is classic French chanson from the from like, the period. Oh yeah, you can hear Maurice Chau- Chevalier singing. Yeah, like any like of those a circle. In, I, I can't do. It. Yeah, you, can you I, do, can a I Maurice? do Maurice Chevalier? Like a circle within circles. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, like a purple lead balloon. Anyway, there are as much as I am a record guy. There are songs that from those records that are you know that's what i remember i don't remember the rest of the record but Mm. and the thing that i find weird i have to say is that i have all those songs on my phone but i have the whole record on my phone 
But when I put the phone on shuffle, they just keep hitting those songs. Like, mm -hmm. like, is are they reading my mind or, <laughs> or maybe, maybe you know the strike playlist that was made, uh, that we all contributed to was so frustrating for me in the end because the algorithm just kept playing, going back to songs that we'd heard several times yeah. while we were striking and it. like dozens and dozens of songs never got played at all. So this is a Spotify? This play was the spot it, was a, it was a Spotify playlist put on shuffle every night. Because, oh, I see. You know, I shuffle. contributed about 20 songs, 25 songs. There were a bunch of us that went crazy with it and just kept. Oh, I see. So and, why don't you just but then not it would, put then, it on and, shuffle and then every night play some and then keep going? Because if you if you put it on shuffle, that's true. Your song may that would have get made played. one person very happy. What's the song that kept coming back that annoyed you the most? Uh, it was uh, um, uh, "Rocket Man" by Elton John. I was going. This is like the tenth time we've heard this. Uh, <laughs> Okay, here's a few things I chose. Uh, Grape Juice by Harry Styles. Come Down on Jupiter by the Orioles. Ticket to Ride. Um, well, I'm glad you said Harry Styles because then we won't talk about only songs from 100 years yeah. ago. La Mer, Charles Trennan. Oh, I'm a huge Harry Styles fan. Que Sera Sera, Sly and the Family Stone. Genevois uh, Que Vous by Benjamin Shoes. Simple Minds, New Gold Dream, Le Tom d'Amour, Francoise Hardy. Never heard any of these. Oh, we did hear New Gold Dream. Um, Your stuff never. The, the, some of my stuff got played. Yeah. Did but anybody was, ever say who chose this? And then somebody would get to say, and then they'd say, "Good choice." Or, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was the only one who made the "I can't stand this song" remark. Uh, there was one when there was some real hard hardcore hip hop song playing, and um, one of the people said, "This is definitely not my jam." <laughs> but but whatever, it was just like it's going to be over in five minutes, and then something right. else is going to play. So, well, we want your songs, right? My song. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm choosing it because I heard it recently and then i started playing it a lot in the car sorry because i was going to put it on a playlist that my brother and i are making or we're making we've been doing it since the beginning of covid where he picks a song i pick a song he pick a, and we do a tight 90 minutes as if it's a cassette and we each side is 45 and it's minutes on, long and then it's on spotify on spotify yeah and then do you ever listen to the playlist the you made all the time yeah but you there's make so it, many of them. Now. You make it one song at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I pick, okay, choose a song and then I send him a message saying your turn and then he picks a song. Okay. That's cool. What happened was I heard the song. I've, I've you know, like I've known this song since uh, there was a band in Vancouver that used to cover it back in 1980. Whenever I saw them, they would play it. And I went, this is a great song. Who did this song? And then I found out it was the Standells. And then. Um, then Nuggets came out on CD and I bought the CD and I finally got the Standells version. And what happened was uh, yesterday, um, I was, or two, day, two nights ago, I was watching uh, uh, a, a, a television series with Kevin Bacon about Boston in the Clinton years, City on the Hill. And it was 
played out at the end of the credit credits. But it was a sweet moment oh. because Bacon did, who plays a corrupt FBI agent, uh, sort of won this round against the district attorney and was sort of strutting out of the bar going, I've got one over you, buddy. And he started to whistle it. And then the actual song okay, came so in. So now. it was a sweet seg segue. And um, and then I went, I'm picked. This is my pick. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. records from those days people played the hell out of so yeah but anyway i have a copy of the dirty water record and in my memory it plays pretty well although it looks like it's beat to hell and mm. and um yeah like i'm looking at the record that so they they there's not you know they cover 19th nervous breakdown right they cover hey joe um i i'm trying i'm trying to see what else on the record do I remember as a standout song? Standout song. There's this. Uh, there's this. Um, sometimes good guys don't wear white. I, that might even be their song. But anyway, that is a that is a perfect reason to not have records. That's to not have albums. That should be a forty. That's a forty-five. And, yeah. And that's all you kind of need from the standouts. And you know that's what it reminds you is that there are a million, maybe perfect songs by bands from that period that didn't even make a record yeah because because they couldn't and because they'd have to cover 19th nervous breakdown and the record company wouldn't even tell you to bother yeah. making it yeah. and what i always think about this i don't know if you if the guy who is the lead singer to Standells and wrote that song if you saw him at you know, whatever, to Walmart. He would not look like a guy who wrote that song or was in that band. No. But he, does he walk around just going, okay, I know I'm an, 
I know I, you know, whatever. I know I'm morbidly obese, but I wrote Dirty Water. Dirty Water, like, which people still sing to this day. Still, I love that Dirty Water. Boston, you're my town. Like, yeah. like yeah. what an amazing yeah. lyric. I don't yeah. like, how could you even be? That's like, I'm proud to be from Boston where the water is dirty, I guess. Yeah. 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 I like hanging it down by the river with my girlfriend. The Inmates, which was a, a a popular pub rock band in the UK, covered it in 78 and had a hit with it. And they changed, obviously, the town to London. But it's it. I was looking, when I was looking to put it on, I said, well, maybe I'll put this version on the playlist and not the Standells, because the Standells version, the thing about the Standells version that's interesting is there's no guitar solo. There's a, a bit of a harp solo, like harmonica solo, and then it just they just play the they, and there's not a third verse, they just sing the, the 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 chorus again and then the song goes fades out. It's hilarious, and and but it's so powerful. It's a, it's such a great rock and tune. Like there's there is a guitar. I can you can hear the guitar player, but there's no guitar solo, which was unusual in those days. You know, I wonder if they played on it. I would hate to find out that this is a wrecking crew. Sometimes no. I don't mind hearing that it's a wrecking crew. But sometimes when I hear it's a wrecking crew, I'm like, oh. if it was the wrecking crew, there'd be a guitar there'd be a little, solo. There'd be a little, yeah, and there'd, there'd be, be like a, a brushes on the drums. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. guy, what I noticed when the song was playing is he's a really good singer. Yeah. That's a really, like, like that's that. The, the rock, I know I sound stupid, like ignorant. The rock singers still sing like that, like that sort of snarly. Some of them do, yeah. Yeah, only in a different way. I, I think of singers like uh, who do sort of like emo bands and emo related bands where the, or, or, or bands like My Chemical Romance, where like there's this this sneer in the in the singing. But it's a different kind of sneer. It's it, it, it's not quite the same. Can you articulate it? Why I love Dirty Water? Yeah, um, it's really hard for me to do that. But I, I love Dirty. Well, I, like I say, the first time I heard it was. Uh, probably in the Commoner Ballroom in Vancouver, played by this band. I can't remember their names now. And uh, they played mostly their own material, but they covered that song. And I remember hearing it come on and going, this is one of the, you know, you know, when the moment you go, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. And then you get perspective later while the song is playing. You think it's the greatest thing you ever heard. I, I felt that way about uh, Pursuit of Happiness is I'm an adult now. Or, and, uh, Chuck Berry's uh, Promised Land, certain things, certain songs where you go, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. Uh, and then, then you go, you walk out and you go, well, no, it's not. I mean, come on, get, get a hold of yourself. But, uh, but that's how I felt about it. And, and, uh, but I can't articulate why. I think there's something about the riff that I really like. It's a little unusual. It's not um, a straight ahead kind of blues riff. It's, it's something else. And it's got a, it, the tempo is just right and it's raw. And the dilemma is, uh, what we, he's not singing so much as talking through most of it. And he's having fun. And when, when you think it's going to go wrong, where he's going to, you know, it's too bad those doors are locked because I'd sneak through the, you know, sneak in there and I do this. All he wants to do is go for a walk with his girlfriend because he likes to walk around, he says. And I, there's just something about it. It's like, I've heard this, but I've never actually heard him say it. I've heard him say frustrated women, yeah. but I never, 
this is the lyric though. Frustrated women, I mean they're frustrated, have to be in by 12 o'clock. Oh, that's a shame. But I'm wishing and hoping, oh, that just once those doors weren't locked. Yeah. Well, I had no idea that was. And why are the women, why are they frustrated? You sound like you're the because frustrated one. Because their parents one. are making them stay in. They can't go out and have fun. So who is, the songwriters are F. Rossi and R. Young. I don't think they were in the band. Nope. Anyway. I don't know anything about this band. The funny thing that you say about that the band played it is it does remind me of times you'd go see a band that played original material and then there would be one song that you would be like, oh my God, yeah. that's so great and we didn't write that. It does seem not that hard to write a bunch of songs, but it's still hard to write a great song. A great song. And that's why, you know, the band were really good but they were just like singing and dancing and whatever and singing, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then this song that Lieber and Stoller wrote or Kane, Carol King wrote, mm. and then it's like, oh, okay, like that's a real writer. I always think when I hear uh, certain songs like that, uh, or like by people that have successfully written a number of songs, but I hear the song or the song that I like, it's like, uh, if this had been the only song that this guy or this woman had written, Dayenu, it would have been enough, you <laughs> yeah. know? Pretty Water is like, is a kind of a one-hit wonder song, but there are other songs where I just go, wow, if this had been the only one this person wrote. So the dilemma enough, with this whole exercise for me is that, um, I, so, the song, so this is a song I used to really, really love, and I don't not love it, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't care about it anymore. Yeah. And there's a lot of songs I don't care about. And that's, and, and a lot of that has, is you know, in the rock and roll and rock music vein. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't bother me. I enjoy it now that, when it's on, um, but it's not where it used to be for me. Whereas there actually are some songs that are, um, I have that experience still of listening to certain songs that when I hear them, I think this is my favorite song in the whole world. I know that's ridiculous, but it is my favorite song. So for three minutes, it's my favorite song. Mm. And they're, they tend to be pop songs, actually. Mm -hmm. um, uh, occasional rock song or soul song or whatever, but mm -hmm. um, musical theater. Um, but, but I think, um, yeah, just, it's, I'm just kind of in interested in that we can, we, try, we can try and parse things. So I don't know if you've heard the, you know, the podcast, uh, you know, Switched on Pop, for example. Those guys, you know, like they really parse songs. And I find it very um, uh, entertaining and enlightening in mm -hmm. a way. But it still doesn't get me to what like it doesn't it doesn't actually help me understand why I like a song because uh, because it because it, you can most of the songs that I like someone could easily parse and explain how bad they are. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then there's just songs that for the longest time is that that was the greatest thing that I just remember something sustaining me, and now I'm terrified to. This is like a local band, which I'm going to play for my my song. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm just kind of terrified to play them because I know that I'm not going to hear what I heard before. Okay, Jim, what's your song? It's an experiment. Um, okay, I'm going to talk about this band called Wrong Wrong. They're part of the scene in Toronto. When I was in high school, uh, they were uh, connected to bands like Fifth Column and all that. And they played at the Cabana Room and all that. And two of the members went on to become... Uh, visual artists around that time. Uh, they also became born again Christians. 
Uh, and then uh, at least one of them abandoned that. Uh, uh, to, and, uh, and, and he's Mark DeGuerre is his name and he's a filmmaker and so on. So he's done a lot of stuff. So, you know, I'm 17 or whatever. I'm coming downtown and I hear a lot of punk and I don't, where Mark and I agreed on something was really, it was that it, crazy thing about punk is it most, for the most part, wasn't raw enough. Like we'd already, heard, you know, both of us in some way, less so me, but had heard the Stooges and heard MC5 and heard things that were, and then the punk comes along and a lot of it's kind of like thin, you know? Mm -hmm. So these guys were not thin. And I'm going to play something and hopefully, I hope to God there's something here. This is a cover. Did you know the original? Not at the time. Oh, I did for sure. Yeah, I, I never heard that. But no, I, I didn't. I didn't know the original. I didn't know anything um, except for. They were kind of heavy, in a way, like. Uh, this song doesn't channel the Velvet Underground as much, but they did sometimes. Kind of like Sister Ray here and No Fun here, and it was like, and and I was just you know learning about all this stuff, and that that really excited me a little bit more than, I mean, the punks. This is you know by by, by then, Vile Tones. Are, done for the first time there's not actually a lot you know youth 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 and all that haven't started yet you know so we're in a kind of period where it's post-punk you know i'm sure mm. there's punk bands somewhere but um they weren't the you know the last pogo had happened you know i, I had the last pogo album there are all these punk bands on it and drastic measures um mm -hmm. fantastic really bizarre uh you know um but um but they were kind of gone yeah somewhere maybe they're in hamilton i mean we're definitely you know there was forgotten rebels and all that but teenage head but um this was like to me you know, this worked for me because i kind of liked the art school uh you know ambition of it um and and it, it was just kind of like you know coming from scarborough it was just kind of like a blast of something that wasn't i knew was going to be special like i you know i had this kind of need to be special 
um, which I still do, which is a, it's a you know not it's a illness, um, but I, but I knew that no one else was going to like this, but I did, and it sounded like maybe Neil Young would like it, you know. I, yeah. I thought it was kind of in my head, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, year a number of years, I don't remember what the context for, but I was someone was doing a show. And they interviewed me for some CBC thing, and they were doing a show on like the greatest Toronto bands of all time. And I was like, I'm going to talk about Wrong Wrong. And I just happened to have these MP3s, which the band didn't have. I got them from, you know, ex wife or something. Anyway, yeah. It still worked for me. It's almost prescient because it's exactly what I was talking about. They didn't have that many good songs, but they had one good song, which Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil wrote, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and that's why they did it. They did it because it was ironic because it came from a film, Wild in the Streets. And yet the reason I chose it was because it was on a compilation cassette and I had an image in my head, shape of things, wrong, wrong. And then I'm going, oh, that was, you know, so it's everything you're saying is true. I'm not saying yeah. why you chose yeah. it. I'm saying they chose it mm -hmm. because they're from art school. They knew that song. It was ironic, but also because it's a melodic, great yeah. little pop well, song. They, and no matter how atonally they played it, the beautiful classic melody of it will still come out well the yeah. classic toronto version uh example of that to me is red rubber ball you know by the right. diodes it's like probably their greatest song written by paul simon <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. Exactly here. yeah and it's yeah. so fantastic and that's the first version i heard by the way of red I, rubber ball i never heard the seekers or the or the what the what circle did, the circle i think it was circle oh, yeah. the circle yeah yeah, yeah i heard was, that later that was their the red rubber ball was their first hit and then yeah. they made pretty good records the circle yes they did yeah. i have two records well, the diodes made the circle a couple of good records did you uh did you like it i liked it i liked it i i i've always loved that song the drummer is the was the standout because the other musicians were kind of like they were doing their best sounds like but the drummer was like, you could tell he was trying to kick their ass and doing all the that, triplets. Because he was stuff. a she. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Who was the drummer? Uh, Kathleen Robertson at the time. Oh, it yeah, was Kathleen in fifth Robertson. column, but she drummed for a drum wrong wrong. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not every, that. not in every, but I'm pretty sure for that gig. Yeah. And then sometimes they'd have three guitars on stage. Yeah. Like that's what appealed, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's why I said Neil Young at that time. Like I'm just getting stuff from all over the place, and I'm going like, yeah, I really like as many guitars as possible, you know. <laughs> and then I got into like, you know, like, but yeah, I would have liked to have seen them. So then, around the time that I met you, interestingly enough, I was sort of like, I don't know, like, you know, just getting more into film and all that. But I went to a show. I went to see the Cramps mm. with Kate. At the Danforth at the concert hall, mm. and I hadn't been there for a few years. I hadn't really been in the habit of going to shows for that period. So I went there, and I'm think about that. I'm like 21, 22, and I'm feeling like I'm really old. I can't come to the. And I have no idea how old people are there. I just felt awkward in that way that I always feel awkward, I suppose. But then I thought I'm really like too old to be doing this. Like I'm really not into this. And then it took me a while to get back, you know, but I'm at the, I'm only, I couldn't have been more than 22. And, and I, you know, and then I just started going to more highfalutin things after that for a while, wow. you know, wow. That's a, right. I went to see, uh, like, I, I mean, I, 
return to the fold. I went yeah. to see Beach House at the Danforth Music Hall about seven years ago. <laughs> and uh, they're a great band. And um, in fact, I believe the, the woman in that band is Michelle Legrand's daughter. Anyway, I, I went to see a beat drummed for wrong wrong. You uh, <laughs> drummed for wrong wrong, and I went and uh, I went to see it. But I, the tickets, it, like this woman, and I said, "Do you want to go see Beach House with me?" And I said, "Sure." And but she bought tickets in the balcony mm-hmm. at the Danforth Music mm-hmm. Hall, and it used to be a movie theater, so mm-hmm. the balcony is really far away from the stage, and our seats were at the back of the balcony. And Beach House has this thing where they play like pretty much in the dark, like they're very dimly mm-hmm. lit. So I went, I can't see them. They've only got so many things on the slide projector that's going across the images behind their songs. They've run out of them. They're now running them a second time. I can't stand this because I was so used to being on the floor standing at, at gigs since 1978, 79. And I went, next time Beach House comes, I'm going to be down there. And I'm still, I'm still like that. I'm so still, you, you I, have no I, I, fear of going to see thing and being the oldest person there by far. Oh, did you go to Harry, Harry Styles? No, last I didn't week? go see Harry Styles. My daughter went. I she saw went. the picture. My well, she went with supposed, her friend. Yeah, but would I go daughter. to see Harry Styles on my own? No, probably not. A lot of friends. I mean, I'm mine. saying, would you go to the Bovine to see a band you liked? Yeah, if I liked the band. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would. I wouldn't care about it. There are certain bands that I like that I, if they came to Toronto, I'd go, oh, I'm not going to go see that because I'm too old and I'll be this old geezer standing in there. But it's funny because when I talk to young young people, people in their early 20s, they go, they say, uh, oh, you could go. Oh, you could go. What are you talking about? You could go. Because there were like early 20-year-olds in this cast. And we were talking about, like, oh, I wouldn't go see that because I'd be so old. And they go, well, what's the matter? Like, you yeah, know. I don't know what I I uh, so, I don't know I don't know it's, what it's I think. Us, it's not. Yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't care. Like that's a weird thing. I don't care if they think I'm old. I don't know why. Well, well I, am old. I, I am old. I so mean, then they're I'm, right. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'd be the oldest person there by far. But I remember when I went to see Guided by Voices, I thought, well, this guy's almost my age. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really do it much anymore. I guess. But I think my girlfriend would go with me. I've been out the horseshoe for a couple of things uh, recently, and I hadn't. I realized, I mean, aside from going there and, and shooting our film, because we went on a pub crawl in the film, in the in the addiction film, mm-hmm. um, we. Uh, I, I was in the back room of the horseshoe, and I realized, oh, you haven't been here sober, maybe ever, and I'm sober here, and it's weird. It's a weird place. Mm-hmm. But, like for me, it was just a weird experience. Um, I'm kind of over the, oh, I need to have a drink to be here. Although you kind of go, it, that's sort of how I managed it. Like, like I, I didn't, I didn't love those places anyway, mm-hmm. but I spent a lot of my life there mm-hmm. and I didn't love that. You know, there was no seats, no tables. Effectively. You can't see the stage. You can't see anything. It smells, the beer's too much. I mean, I just basically managed that by drinking a, a ton. I find you know? the beer in the horseshoe extremely reasonably priced well, compared to other places so then but, the boat yeah sorry but there's the the sight lines problem drives me a little crazy in that place it's, but i still love that bar i, I still felt that i felt great actually in some ways being there i felt like okay this was my, my i saw a lot of good bands i saw yeah. a lot i saw billy bragg there like three four years ago yeah it's like the richmond towns van zant wow uh, fuck uh, i never saw it down uh, super furry animals buddy miller uh, uh 
Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, uh, so then I, I teenage fan. Club. I was never, I never. The bovine was a kind of whole other kind of place. But a friend of mine was in a band, like at a you know kind of showcase. It was an afternoon thing though, and she was in AA. And so a pile of us from AA, all most people younger than me, but not entirely. We went there, and that was kind of weird because I kind of like know, like we're we're totally oddballs in the situation. Yeah. Um, but, and we're in the place where we wouldn't normally go, but we're there together and it was, yeah. So, I mean, that's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. Cause I liked, I like to see new things and some new things only happen in bars. Yeah. If you don't go to bars, you don't get to see live music of a certain sort. I do take advantage of festivals though, you know, because it's like a pretty low key, Yeah, you know, way to see a lot of music but yeah. i don't it's not like it used to be my life right i'd go see films early evening bands every night fake it through work the next day films at night bands you know mm. so it's interesting we're we're trying to talk about what it is that is so great but we i think we acknowledge that we're never going to get there no because music is you know music's bigger than that is it easier to talk about what's bad no i think it's easier to talk about other forms of more um like intellectually discursive art where you can you know what i mean right like whereas with music it's operating on such a fundamentally emotional level that's clearly is like universal ish um that we're never going to quite get there because it's bigger than if, if we if we could we, we wouldn't we could just talk Okay, so in order to talk about songs, we're going to have to talk about other things. And actually, here's the scary part. Mm-hmm. Where I was very ready to be very autobiographical on my Facebook uh, on my Facebook page, and I still am to this day. And even, I, you know, I just, like, I'll say it here. Now I'll have to do it. I have, I am kind of thinking I'm going to do a one-man show. I, I'll be autobiographical about everything except my girlfriend. So, because she's not volunteering to right. be autobiographical. That's fair. That's fair. Um, what I would say, I see the challenge of what we're planning to do here. I think it's hard, and I'm going to prove that with my song. Okay. It's hard to talk about it. So, I'm going to say, I heard this song on the credits. I believe I shazammed it. I couldn't believe how much I liked it. I found it. I played it again. So I will introduce it by saying, and then I eventually found the record, but it's beat. Um, the the weird thing about the record is that, so Dion, Dion was late 50s. A lot of guys in the late 50s who were in like doo-wop bands, like Dion and the Belmonts, again, in the late 60s, wanted to still be relevant and put out, you know, Bobby Darren put out folk records. We all know these things. Dion put out three or four folk records in the early 70s, including this one that's pretty great called Sit Down, Young Friend. He had a hit with Abraham Martin and John. His folk records are actually pretty good. He definitely had a great voice. Yeah. I have those folk records, but I knew nothing about this record, which is from 1969. It's kind of a rock record. He does some of the songs with the Belmonts ooing and aahing in the background. Mm Mm-hmm. That's all I know. It's, it's and it's uh, this song. This later I found out the song is written by Tom Paxton. Oh. I've also heard a cover of it by Johnny Cash from I think one of those 
unearthed like acoustic records mm. but i just can't i can talk a little bit about the lyrics because tom paxton tom paxton wrote five verses Dionne does three of them, changes the lyric and reverses them. Even Johnny Cash left out one of the verses. Okay. So maybe there are, Tommy shouldn't have written so many verses. Maybe. But anyway, uh, I think this song from beginning to end is spectacular. Even, I'll just listen for the strings that come in at the end, like mind-blowing. Go. Let's hear it. This is I Can't Help But Wonder Where I'm Bound. Yeah, that's This it. is it, right? It's a long and dusty road It's a hot and a heavy load Folks I meet, they aren't always kind Some are bad, some are good Some just do That's what I like about a lot of songs is that I sing the chorus, and it like I could I could almost I could almost slightly tear up at this song because number one I can't help but wonder where I'm bound at this moment in my life is really couldn't be more perfect like the two just my girlfriend and I are looking for a place to live we're we're blogging about it on facebook and Substack, and and it's you know just like i owned a house but then i i left my marriage house and i live with my girlfriend and we both rent and we're at the we're at the you know beck and call and whatever of landlords in toronto and it's it's horrible and then there's other things happening in my life that have changed in a big way and I really can't help but wonder where I'm bound. But the other thing is that second verse, that's what, now I, like I heard the second verse now, where basically he's saying something which I would say, which is, I have these friends and I don't know if I'll ever see them again. And in the case of a couple of them, I know I won't because they're dead. And and anyway, I, I just think 
first of all, his voice shocks me. Like, like I don't think of Dion as having that beautiful, sweet pop voice, even though Dion and the Belmonts were great. Mm. And then that that thing that I could see Jim going, da, da, like whatever that is, that little da 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 da, da which yeah. at first was done the maybe on a guitar, yeah. and then it was done on the strings. Like I just think that's a mm-hmm. shockingly great song that I can't believe I never heard, and I'm also surprised Tom Paxton wrote it. Yeah, it's a sweet song, and the lyrically, it it yeah, that last verse kind of hit me where I lived and the second verse too because of you know it says maybe i'll go see his friend maybe right I'll go maybe see i'll him. find him maybe some... i'll find him sometime it's like no you're not gonna find him <laughs> do you yeah. are you yeah you know and then the even story... that he says when i drink his voice comes in my head yeah like i like that was the idea of my the, all the people that have run through my life is kind of more for me it's more when i drive by the corner of Queen and Jones. Yeah. I remember a guy walking out one day when I was yeah. whatever. That's when I drive by places I remember picking up. I even remember fairs. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I passed the 999 Queen Street. Yeah. And I remember a guy picked up that turned into a thing. Like, but mostly my friends, like, you know, whatever. Once I had a kid, whatever you guys know, I had a kid late in life. When I had the kid, that was it. I never saw my friends again. Like, or mm-hmm. my friends had kids, and I never saw them again. Yeah. Uh, so, despite all the negative things that uh, are surround social media, I'm a social media optimist. So, in the in the overall scheme of things, uh, that's the way I view it. And um, I think this is kind of an extension of that. It's kind of putting putting oneself out into the world seeing what happens and seeing what that becomes. And I remember uh, you saying a similar thing when we were doing a thousand songs, we were talking about, this is relevant by the way. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, You said at some point, you know, um, I hope you were dismayed as I was, I think about some move that Facebook had made. And you said, you know, you thought that this was such a great format, you know, maybe, maybe more interesting than television. This was uh, those. Those were your words, you know. And I actually think it's absolutely true. And uh, mostly when we don't, mostly when people want to talk about how horrible it is, they talk about it within the context of social media. <laughs> Tweet about that, you know. Mm-hmm. But 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 here's I, this is what I feel. What we're doing, I feel vindicated by it. It's like I love that we get to slow down. First of all, I wouldn't have known this song without us doing this. Right. Right. And I love, and we got to play it and we play the whole thing and we listen, listen to it. And I'm staring over at Dion as if he's in the room with us, as if someone's on camera watching me watch him. But I love that we get to slow down and appreciate that and then document it because I'm going to forget. Like I'm going to forget all about like that specific thing. And then that's the, that's the way, like that's the extension of my memory uh, in a much more reliable form than my, my actual memory, which is disappearing. Um, but I love that. And um, yeah, I just love that, you know, like, you know, I had that whatever emotional moment of discovering windmills of your mind on 45 from some garage sales shit that my mom picked up um, that we actually I actually got to have that discussion, you know, have two people who knew a lot more about the song and about Noel Harrison and all that than I ever will. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, you know, kind of take over and go back to it uh, 
what are we at? Like 10 years later? More than 10 years later. More than 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking like 13 years later. So that's a big chunk of my life. I, lo- I love I love it all, you know. So I think it's uh, we may never really get we name we may not make any progress in actually articulating why we like Dion or why I like Ron Ron, <laughs> uh, but uh, but um, but the the you know there's something very valuable I think for me personally in the in the journey. Well, let's do it again. All right. Okay. That's a wrap. That's, That's a good a, wrap. That's a, wrap. That's a good capper. Okay. I gotta go anyway. All right. I don't want to miss the start of the show or not get in. Bye, Rick. Bye, Alan. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. See you in two weeks, folks. Comme une pierre que l'on jette dans l'eau vive d'un ruisseau Et qui laisse derrière elle des milliers de ronds dans l'eau Comme un manège de lune avec ses chevaux d'étoiles This episode featured excerpts from the songs Windmills of Your Mind, written by Michelle Legrand and sung by Noel Harrison, Dirty Water by The Standells, written by Ed Cobb, Shape of Things by Rong Rong, and I Can't Help Wonder Where I'm Bound by Dion and the Wanderers. Closing this episode, we've included Les Moulins de Mon Coeur, sung by Natalie de Essay and Michelle Legrand. Is a form of expression. Stay tuned for the next episode of A Thousand Songs, where Jim, Rick, and Alan discuss The Waters of March by Art Garfunkel, I Need Direction by Teenage Fan Club, and Never My Love by The Association, with a guest appearance from myself, Lisa Santonato, as I contribute my chosen song, Paul Simon's Graceland. Follow A Thousand Songs podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and stay tuned for our next episode.